Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. I want to go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to look at verses 13 through 17. And also Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 3. 13 through 17, and then Matthew 4, 1 through 11. While you're looking at it or getting ready to look at the screen, how many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you've never heard me preach? Oh, Lord, that's everybody. Okay. <laughs> quick, uh, quick disclaimer. Um, I am a holla back preacher. Okay, so all that means is um, the next six and a half hours that we have together, <laughs> I'm playing. Um, it is illegal for you to just sit there and look at me and just go... No, okay. If anything I say, if anything I say is resonating with you or you feeling it, you can say amen. You can say preach that. You could grunt. Uh, you could literally stand up in the middle and go, whoo, that was for me. <laughs> you could also stand up in the middle and go, ooh, that was for you. For real, you needed that. Any one of those will work. Just help a brother out today. Matthew chapter 3, let's look at what it says. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. It's exactly how God sounded that day, by the way, just in case you wonder. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... 40 days and 40 nights. Just let that scripture bless you right there. How many know you guys have been to fast? My church, we always participate in a 21-day fast. And uh, I did a Daniel fast. Daniel fast. I think that's fruits and veggies. And four days into the fast, I was convinced that Daniel ate Chick-fil-A. I said, I want nobody judging me. I struggle to fast for four minutes. But Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And I love when the Bible is just blatantly obvious. It says, afterward, he was hungry. I bet he was. 40 days with no food. Verse 3 says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Pause. Time out. Did y'all read what we just read? Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. Not only is that hashtag jacked up, but it kind of gives us some perspective for today. Because how many of you know how you approach and how you apply the word of God to your life is critical? 
Because if you have the wrong approach or the wrong application of the word of God, you can actually manipulate scripture to say whatever you want it to say. It's exactly what the enemy is doing here. In fact, it's a trick of the enemy to get you to adjust the word of God to fit your life instead of adjusting your life around God's word. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm already preaching in here today. Jesus interprets scripture with scripture. He says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. Hallelujah. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Can you say amen? Amen. Come on, that's good stuff. I want to preach to you today, just using this as a title, the water and the wilderness. The water and the wilderness. Would you help me preach? Look at the person next to you, whichever one you like the best. And uh, just get in their face, get in their personal space. And just say, neighbor. Oh, come on. Don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor. You know I can see you. Come on. Just look at them in their face. Say, neighbor. It's about the water and the wilderness. Come on. If you believe God's going to speak, would you give them some praise up in here? I feel like preaching in this third service. Come on. Let's pray before we go into this word. Going to be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. Would you bow your heads? God, you are awesome. Speak today. Amen. (laughs) The water and the wilderness. Uh, Church 1132, this year, this year, I will celebrate and commemorate 15 years of full-time ministry. 15 years of full-time itinerant traveling ministry. For, uh, for the last 15 years, I've had the incredible privilege and opportunity to travel around the world and preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus for 15 years. And it's hard for my mind to even believe that it's already been 15 years because I first started coming to the church I'm a part of here in Dallas when I was just three years old. I preached my first sermon when I was 16, single, scrawny, still living at home with my parents. Now I am happily married, 34, three kids, one dog, no cats, one mortgage, six chest hairs. I'm a grown man now, people. I'm a grown man. uh, In my 15 years of traveling, there is a question that I've often been asked, and it's a question based on an assumption. It'll generally happen when I'm traveling with my father. My brother's here with me on the front row. Uh, But somebody will inevitably say, hey, Robert, How long has your father been pastoring? Or Robert, how long has your dad been preaching? And to some people's shock, I let them know that my father never been a preacher, but my father is a firefighter. In fact, he just retired last year after serving the city of Dallas for 33 years. Come on, fighting fire. Shout out to all the first responders. So my father, Robert Madu Sr., we have the exact same name, totally different callings. The same name, distinctly different vocations. I think that's imperative for you to note this morning because in the unlikely event that your house should catch on fire, 
and you were to be trapped inside of that house that caught on fire. Let's just say hypothetically that you could only call a Robert Madu to get you out. Make sure you call the right Robert, okay? <laughs> Make sure you call the right Robert. Now, don't get me wrong. Both of us will do our best to make sure you get saved. Church jokes. Just trying to keep you awake. <laughs> like, neither one of us would want you to experience the flames. <laughs> However, <laughs> how we accomplish that objective will be distinctly different. Okay, totally different. My father, Robert Madu Sr., who's the fireman, he is going to jump on a fire truck, go inside the house, and rescue you from the flames. My approach is going to be a little bit different, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to grab a microphone. I'm going to grab a microphone, and I'm going to stand outside a considerable distance away from you that's trapped in the fire, and I'm just going to encourage you. And I'm going to say something like, Consider it pure joy, my brother, whenever you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance patience. I know you're in the fire right now, but you're coming out as pure gold because no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Key change. Hey. You're not the only one that's ever been trapped in a fire. Y'all remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in a fire too. And if God got them out, then he, I said he, not me, but he, get you out too. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is I'm a preacher, not a firefighter, okay? Ooh, that was fun. That was fun. Scary for some of you, but anyway. No. On a more serious note, some of my greatest memories as a kid was when I would visit my dad at the fire station. Okay, you got to understand, when you're a little boy and your dad's a fireman and you get to visit him at the fire station, people, the fire station to a little boy is like Disney without the ticket prices, okay? I vividly remember running around the fire station. I'm climbing the ladder. I'm trying on the uniform. I am pretend driving the fire truck. I remember kids at school would be like, hey, Robert, I got a new fire truck for Christmas. I'm like, that's cute. I drive one. Hashtag dream bigger. I mean, it was awesome moments that I'll never forget. But hear me, church, I will never forget the day I'm a kid. I'm visiting my dad at the fire station. I'm pretend driving the fire truck. And all of a sudden, without warning, I hear on the intercom, engine 26, five alarm house fire. Engine 26, five alarm house fire. And all of a sudden, my father went from laughing and smiling at me pretend driving the fire truck to all of a sudden in his Nigerian voice saying, son, get up now. He picks me up, throws me out of the seat to my mom. Immediately, firemen started coming out of the crevices and the corridors of the fire station like ants escaping an ant bed that had just been stepped on. I saw two firemen who were playing ping pong. They threw the paddles in the air and started putting on their gear. One fireman was eating a turkey sandwich. This dude stopped mid-bite of the turkey sandwich and jumped on the fire truck and in no less than three minutes the same fire truck I was pretend driving was now peeling out of the parking lot and the same siren I was pushing for my entertainment was now being pushed for an emergency because time was of the essence 
and destinies were on the line. And I will never forget the look on my father's face and the immediacy of the moment as he had to quickly transition from a moment of fellowship with his son to now racing to put out a fire that he didn't even start. I share my childhood memory with you today in a feeble attempt to accurately articulate the tone and the tension of what is happening in Matthew chapter 3 with Jesus' baptism and in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus' temptation. And I need you to feel the whiplash of our Savior today because in chapter 3 with his baptism, he is in perfect fellowship and communion with the Father. But in chapter 4 with his temptation, he is racing to put out a fire that he did not start but was started in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were disobedient and brought sin into the world and got humanity in the mess that it is in today and the tension is in his transition from Matthew chapter 3 to Matthew chapter 4. Oh come on I hope you can buckle up your seatbelt we're going somewhere today if you can stay with me. One of the things one of the things I want you to understand at the onset is that the chapter numbers and the verse numbers that are printed in your Bible Although sometimes they can be helpful, especially in your Bible reading plan. It's like, ooh, four chapters today, killed it. <laughs> sometimes it can actually be a hindrance and stop you from getting the context of the text that you're reading. So if you're not careful, you'll do what I've done for years, which is to read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, then pause for a commercial break, and then read about his temptation in Matthew chapter 4, and you'll be tempted to look at these two events as isolated events that should be viewed independently. But I submit to you today that these two events were never supposed to be viewed independently, but rather interdependently, because God has given us biblical blues clues as to what you're going to face as a believer. God is just letting you know that if you're going to live a life of faith, and if you have a true encounter with him, how many know there is a trajectory, there's a pathway that your life will have to go through? Oh, come on, somebody. All I'm telling you... All I'm telling you today is that there is a connection between the water and the wilderness. The water and the wilderness are deeply connected. And maybe I read the wrong verse of scripture and I shouldn't have read Matthew's account. Maybe I should have read my boy Marky Mark's account. Because look at how Mark puts it in Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 13. It says, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 12 says, immediately, immediately, no pause, no chapter break, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast. He's not even dry from being baptized and he's already going into the wilderness immediately. See, it's that immediately that gave me biblical indigestion this entire week. Because I'm trying to figure out how in the world one moment he's being baptized, the next moment he's in a battle. One moment he is in total comfort, the next moment he is in total conflict. One moment he is in cohesive community, the next moment he is in complete isolation. One moment he's hearing a voice from heaven, the next moment he's hearing a voice from hell. One moment he's in the water getting a word from heaven, the next moment he is in the wilderness facing real warfare. Come on, don't act like you ain't never been there before. How 
in the world is it? On Sunday, in here, you experience God's power, his presence, his glory. But on Monday morning, it's like the enemy sends laser beams from hell on your forehead. Come on, one moment you stepping out in great faith. The next moment, fear has gripped your heart. One moment you want to pray for your enemies and bless them that curse you. The next moment you want to look at all your haters and let them know you ain't always been saved and you can speak in a tongue that don't need no interpretation. Come on somebody. Does anybody know what it's like to go from the water to the wilderness? The tension is in the transition. Come on, why is it? Why is it on the pathway to your purpose? en route to your destiny, that the GPS system, God's positioning system, will always tell you, will always tell you, start on water road, then make a sharp right turn into the wilderness. You always go from the water to the wilderness. Before I talk about what happened in the wilderness, I first want to discuss what happened in the water. And I want you to understand today that Jesus' baptism was a big deal. How many know it was a big deal? In fact, if you're here today and you've put your faith in Jesus, but you haven't gotten baptized yet, what's wrong with you? Get baptized. <laughs> Come on, you can sign up today. There's baptism today after the last service. If Jesus got baptized, you know your crazy self <laughs> needs to get baptized, okay? <laughs> Jesus' baptism was a big deal. In fact, his baptism is like that scene at the beginning of a movie that if you missed it because you were putting extra butter on your popcorn, you may as well go home and wait for the movie to come out on Netflix. You're going to be confused the entire movie. His baptism was a big deal. In fact, I, I find it intriguing that of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who put pen to paper to discuss the life of Jesus, only two of them discussed Jesus' birth. Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't even deem it necessary to discuss the birth of Jesus. You know you gangster when you skip Christmas, okay? <laughs> they don't even talk about his birth, but all four of them, all four of them talk about what happened in the water and what happened in the wilderness. All four of them said, you cannot miss this moment. I know his baptism was a big deal because the Bible says when Jesus got baptized, that immediately the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. Come on, you know when the heavens heavens open up that the atmosphere has just shifted. Oh, you know when the heavens open up, your life will never be the same again. Oh, anytime the heavens open up, you're going to get a word from God that's going to change your life forever. Come on, anybody ever experienced that? How many experience it today? As we started lifting up our hands and worshiping God, come on, didn't you sense the atmosphere start to shift? Come on, that's the heavens opening up in this place. Is there anybody in here that says, I didn't come to play church, but I want the heavens to open up over my life, over my family, over my business, over every place I step in. Oh, come on. Some of y'all ain't been through nothing, but some of y'all have been through so much hell. You know you need the heavens to open up in your life. Woo, hallelujah. When the heavens open up, when the heavens open up, your life will never be the same again. Oh, come on, I know his baptism was a big deal simply because of who showed up at the baptism. Because for the first and only time in the New Testament, the entire Godhead, the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, made a cameo appearance at the exact same time. Come on, because you got God the Father making a declaration from heaven. You got God the Son being baptized in the water, and you got the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Come on, when the whole Trinity shows up, you know this. This is a significant moment. I know his baptism was a big deal. Hear me, simply because of what the Father was declaring over Jesus. 
See, the father was not declaring random words. The father was declaring a truth that's got to be the anchor in your soul whenever life comes against you. Father was declaring something, hear me, that you got to know that you know that you know, no matter what you're facing in here today. And that truth is this. I am loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleased with me. I am loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleased with me. I am loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleased with me. How many of you know that truth right there will change your life forever? Twelve of you know it. The rest of you are going to find out in a minute. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The day that truth, the day that truth gets cemented in your soul, ooh, that will change the way you walk into a room. That will change the way you hold up your head. That will change the way you feel about yourself. The day you are confident in the fact that you are loved, you're a child of God, and that he is pleased with you. In fact, I want to give you a dare. I want to give you a dare. Free country, but I want to give you a dare. Every morning you wake up, every morning you wake up, before you brush your teeth, just go to the mirror and declare over yourself with your stanky breath. And just say this, say, I am loved, I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. How many know that would be a great way to start your day? Come on, that's just practical. If, if, if you're thinking about getting a face tattoo, a face tattoo, I wouldn't. But if you want to anyway, I got a suggestion of what you should put on your forehead. You should put, I am loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleased with me. You don't like that illustration. Next time you go to Starbucks, next time you go to Starbucks, and the barista says, what name should I put on a drink? You tell her, I got three. I am loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleased with me. You don't like that illustration. Next time, next time you're on Instagram or Facebook, and you're not getting the likes or the comments you thought you were going to get on that particular post, I dare you to cut off your smart device that's making you stupid and just declare over your life, I ain't living for other people's likes because I'm already loved. I'm a child of God and he, oh, I wish y'all would help me preach in this service. He's pleased with me. Oh, what if, huh, what if, what if you filtered every circumstance Every negative comment from other people through that transcendent truth that you are loved, you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. Some of you wouldn't be so insecure if you were confident in that. You wouldn't lose your joy so easily if you were confident in that. Some of you wouldn't walk into church looking constipated like you've been sucking on lemons all morning. <laughs> if you knew you were loved, you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. That truth changed your life forever. But hear me, that, unfortunately, is where most believers stop. We always stop at the water experience. Now, don't get me wrong, the water is significant. You need the water moment because the water is the place where your identity gets confirmed. The water is the place where you find out who you are and whose you are. Please note when the Father makes this declaration over Jesus, when he makes it. This is before Jesus has done a miracle. He's not walked on water yet, hadn't healed anybody yet, hadn't casted out one demon yet, hadn't taken the two fish, five loaves, multiplied it, made the first red lobster yet. Nope. <laughs> hadn't been to the cross yet, hadn't even gotten up from the grave yet, and yet the Father still says, you're loved, you're my child, I'm pleased with you. He hadn't done anything yet. <laughs> I know. But this has nothing to do with performance, everything to do with proximity and relationship. You are still loved. I'm pleased before you ever perform. 
But that's where most believers stop. We always stop at the water. So you leave a service like this or amazing conference like we had this week, you're like, ooh, turn up. What a conference. Oh, I'm signing up next year. You heard what the preacher said. I am love. I'm a child of God. He's pleased with me. And you feel real good in the water and you're skipping through the parking lot. But I felt the need to warn you <laughs> that right after the water, you walk straight into the wilderness. Right after you hear the voice from heaven, hear me today, you will hear the voice from hell. And this is what messes us up as believers, because it's like we've almost been programmed and conditioned to think that once I have the approval of heaven, then that means I won't have an attack from the enemy, that life will be perfect. In fact, sometimes this ideology is even promulgated from the pulpit and from preachers to the point that we have relegated God's approval to a bigger house, a raise on our job, or check in the mail. Ooh, I got a check. God must be pleased with me. And we have relegated God's approval to blessing. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for blessing. I'm for blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings. I believe God wants to get a blessing to you so he can get a blessing through you. However, the life of Jesus is proof positive that the approval of heaven does not absolve you from an attack from the enemy. In fact, I'll go further to say that the reason some of you are facing what you're facing right now is simply because God is pleased with you. Yeah, you didn't do something wrong. You did something right. That's why hell is coming against you. Conversely, the reason why some of you life is just perfect right now and you just tiptoeing through the tulips and Kool-Aid coming out of your water fountain might be, might be because your life is stagnant and you haven't even done anything to upset the kingdom of darkness. But can I testify and tell you when you start taking a stand for God, when you say I'm going to be the light in the midst of darkness, when you say I'm going to open up a campus and Wiley and prosper and wherever God sends me, when you say I'm going to serve God and so is my family, come on, how you know that's when hell gets nervous and demons start attacking and Satan starts to sweat oh come on somebody I'm telling you it is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl from hell Ooh, that'll tweet I'm gonna say that again it is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl from hell and all I came to encourage you with today is receive the smile from heaven receive it but don't get shocked when you get the scowl from hell. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to keep it 100. That's all I know how to do. When I was studying this passage, I did not like this sermon at all. And I told God this. I said, hold on, pause. I don't want to go from the water to the wilderness. I said, no, God, if I can pick it, give me my water in the wilderness. Oh, yes, Fiji, if I can pick the brand, room temperature. Don't take me from the water to the wilderness. You'll never see in Genesis God going, let there be wilderness. No, I don't want to go to the wilderness. Maybe I got too much imagination. But I feel like this passage would have read a whole lot better, a whole lot better if it started off in the wilderness. Can you see it? If it started off in the wilderness. And as soon as Satan rolls up on Jesus and is like, if you are the son of God, then let a loud voice come from heaven and let God the Father interrupt Satan in the middle of him talking and go, what you mean if he is the son of God? He is the son of God because I already said he was the son of God. Satan, I'm going to tell you right now, you better put some respect on Jesus' name. You better respect his name. If you don't respect his name, all three of us, Father, Son, and Spirit about to jack you up. As a matter of fact, let there be water and then water shows up in the wilderness 
wilderness and the whole Godhead takes Satan by the throat and just starts drowning him in the water. It says, I wish you would say if one more time. <laughs> Drown Satan to death. <laughs> and then, and then after Satan's lifeless body is floating in the water, that's when you call John the Baptist and go, we ready for the baptism now, bro. Feel like it read better like that, but it ain't gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. You will not get your water experience in the wilderness because God has this uncanny ability, this profound proclivity to always take you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to, it is God's system to take you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, I'm gonna say it till it annoys you, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to, I want you to hear my voice in your head tomorrow as you're pouring your coffee, going from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness. It is God's system, hear me. In the text, John baptizes people, hear me, in the water. Oh, come on, in the water. But when they asked John who he was, he said, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? He'll take you from the water to the wilderness. From the water to the wilderness. Oh, now I see why the children of Israel had to go through the Red Sea. Because the Red Sea was water. And the water is a place where your identity gets confirmed. And Pharaoh thought they were just slaves. But they were not just slaves. They were loved. They were children of God. And he was pleased with them. And when you're God's child, there's no stronghold. There's no bondage. There's no addiction that can ever hold you down. Because whoever the sun sets free, come on somebody, is free indeed. Oh, somebody needs to give God praise for your freedom that you have in him. Hallelujah. Woo. That means Moses, Moses had to lift up his staff. And he split the water. But they didn't go straight to the promised land. They went from the water to the... They were in the wilderness 40 years Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, and God always has this system of taking you from the water to the wilderness. I don't want to sound like a broken record today, and I hope I'm not bringing my own presupposition to this biblical passage. I told you earlier, my wife and I, we have three kids, four, three, and one. Pray for us. And because our children are so young, uh, birth is not too distant of a memory to us. So I would even like to pose and postulate today that even the way we enter the world is just a microcosm, it's just a mirror of this transcendent truth that God will always take you from the water to the wilderness. Oh, come on, you do remember how you were conceived, right? You do remember how you were conceived. You were conceived in your mother's womb, identity confirmed in the womb. Whoop, we're having a boy, oh, we're having a girl. Isn't it funny, in your mother's womb, you were surrounded by... So much so that when your head got too big and your birth was imminent, your mama looked up over the dining room table and said, uh-oh, my just broke and rushed to the hospital. And do you remember your first birthday? Do you remember how you entered the world? Did you come to the world laughing? No. Did you come to the world singing? No. Did you come to the world dancing? No. Did you come to the world rapping? Started, started from the belly, now I'm here. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. 
Every single baby around the world comes into the world just like this. Ah! 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 Screaming, kicking, crying at the top of your little lungs. And us goofy parents, us goofy parents, look at a newborn baby that's crying at the top of his lungs, and we got the nerve to be smiling, talking about, hey, welcome to the world. And they look at us and go, Hear me, I am convinced, I am convinced if you could translate and transcribe the cry of every newborn baby, the caption across the screen would read, what you mean welcome to the world? Don't you mean welcome to the wilderness? You spend all of your life wrestling with the weight, the complexity, the frustrations of the wilderness that you were born into. See, this is why the church has got to be quick to love people, not quick to judge them. Because you don't know the wilderness that some people were born into. Oh, come on, somebody. The wilderness is a real place. And it is the heat of the wilderness. The heat of the wilderness seeks to evaporate your experience from the water. And it can leave you with big questions like, who am I? Where am I? And how do I deal with what's been placed in front of me? And the question that has to be answered before you leave here today is, how are you going to handle the temptations that will face you in your wilderness? Because they're coming. Jesus faced the temptation. You're going to face the temptation. Some of you are shocked that I even asked that question. You're like, oh, Robert, what is this temptation that you speak of? I, I'm a child of the Most High God. I've been coming to this church for years now. I, I floated in the room. I had communion for brunch. What is this temptation you speak of? Why, I'm in church today. I know. I'm glad you came. But this is the water. Tomorrow, you got to go to work. That is the wilderness. The tension is in the transition. I got to hurry. I got my Showtime at the Apollo music playing behind me. But I want you to see something and I'm done. I want you to see this. I want you to see that the same spirit, the same spirit that descended upon Jesus in the water is the same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. Don't miss that in the text. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So come on, if the spirit is leading me into the wilderness, that means the wilderness is not my problem. The wilderness is not my enemy. The wilderness is just a life. There's a Satan that's in the wilderness that's trying to destroy me. But how many are thankful today that Jesus already won the war in the wilderness? Come on, he resisted the temptation. And because he won that war, come on, you can face the wilderness that you're in. Come on, somebody. Don't you give up in the wilderness? God's got greater for you. In fact, you ought to worship him in the wilderness and say, God, even in the wilderness, I trust you. I'm going to serve you. Oh, come on. Somebody give God some praise in this place today. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.